0: Jedi, like my father before me. All right, hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank, the Mandalorian edition. I am Michael Flores, the host of the show, and I'm swimming naked today in the Back to Waters. Hello, David, how are you and how are your eyes? My eyes are healing up. Especially after well, the last couple of weeks well, I, well luckily you're in back to water So even though you have to see me naked <laughs> You can just dunk in the back to water And it heals your eyes from the horrors <laughs> The horrors That you had to see
1: What are the floaty <laughs> things in the back to water My god uh, Shit
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know did you want an answer Dave Because I, <laughs> I wasn't prepared Stick to the script David There's no ad libbing Okay. Improvisation is not my game. Yeah. All right. So today we're going to be breaking down and discussing Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian, simply titled Sanctuary. Uh, This episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard and written by John Favaro. I guess the man, the solo man, the one man band. Apparently, there are no other writers of this TV show, which I don't know if that's a good thing. Only time will tell. Yeah, but honestly a TV show with one writer doesn't always go very well so hopefully maybe possibly next season he can include more people at least four or five people in the writing room
1: it probably explains a lot with the 20 minute uh, segment that me and you have been critical about well, possibly yeah that could be it or, or the
0: fact that he just wrote this as a movie and then it's like then yes they broke, it they broke it up and that's why he's the only writer but hopefully next season because we already know the show's gotten renewed um Hopefully we'll bring in a writing room and not because what we're getting is awful necessarily. I'm just saying that every TV show can benefit from numerous voices and call you on your shit. That's That's the whole point of having a writing room. It's very, uh, democratic in that writing room and you're like, okay, well, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a bad idea. Let me get rid of this. Oh, wow. Did I actually write that? That's shit. That's shit. You, you all hold each other accountable. That's the beautiful thing about television writing here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, even I've interviewed BBC writers, writers that work for, you know, the British broadcasting. And they have said that they write their own shows out there. And when they come to the U.S., it's a little odd and they have to get used to it. But once they get used to having writers and they're just the boss, they're the leadership, they will also write here and there, that's their job, but they have people writing for them. They say they actually really dig it because it helps them flesh out their ideas in a way that sometimes you can't do when you're just a one-man show.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, especially in television, because you're there's a dealing, lot
0: of moving parts, right? The
1: juggle. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of moving parts in a television show that is far are different from a feature film yeah where in a feature film yes as a filmmaker you can get your own vision in your own narration narration there's usually just one there. through
0: line in, yeah, in a movie with a tv show you're dealing with multiple characters and setting up for the future and and the tough part too yeah, is a like lot. The, uh,
1: this is kind of like a hybrid i've noticed of a uh, feature film right. making and a television making because you have multiple different directors well no that's done like like in television right right yeah television they do that yeah but in feature film no it's uh, it's right. one
0: voice oh so you're saying multiple directors but same but the same solo writer same yeah. solo writer. well imagine if Favre was directing and writing I mean there'd be no one calling him out
1: <laughs> yeah and, and at that point, you better, yeah. and, and that puts a lot of pressure on Favreau. It's just too
0: much. It's too much work when you're dealing with a TV show. A you TV can't, show, you can't do it it's all. Tough. Yeah, you can't do it all. All right. So in chapter four, Sanctuary, the Mandalorian and his newly adopted child. Which we need to give him a name soon. This baby Yoda thing is no longer cute. <laughs> it's
1: not like, it, it, Let's it give is. him a name. We can't, I mean, you can't call him a baby too, because like
0: he's 50 years old. <laughs> well, well, he's all species age differently. He's still essentially a baby. It's just, it just takes longer for them to reach maturity. Maturity. That's all. So the child and the Mandalorian take refuge on a backwater planet titled or called Sorgen. All right. So we're halfway through the series and, um, we're getting a lot of big, bigger picture story elements, which is nice, especially in this era. This is something we, we say every week, and we're going to continue to say it, especially in this era of Star Wars, where we don't really know much about the world we're dabbling in, which is a far cry from or very different, I should say, than the Lucas days. Lucas gave us these robe storylines that were filled with world moving mythos yes and since 2012 we just really haven't we've gone back a bit here and there and the comic books and the books have really filled in the blanks nicely but from the live action front we really haven't moved the star wars story forward solo did amazing and in fact i use that as the single best film when it comes to the new era of star Wars when it comes to moving the bigger story of star Wars forward. I mean, it does so much in so many different ways. Oh
1: yeah. Because it, it it expanded the universe with other introducing different, different planets, different ways of travel, the
0: dynamics of the politics and the criminal overlords and who's calling the shots and who's doing what. And when you, when you, when you think about it, I mean,
1: Mandalorian is, probably the first one to tackle actually showing us different planets that have substance to it. Like Sorgan was actually a pretty interesting world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you take a look at it and take a look at not just the planet as, you know, geographical or, or bio, but like our biome, but also the culture that lives there. I was really interested in like when they opened up and you get this like small little village, uh like a fishing village and they're fishing these weird blue fish.
0: Yeah, you like seeing a bunch of brownies work as indigenous uh reminds me, morons. Of, home.
1: <laughs> reminds me of my homeland. <laughs> the rice patties
0: of Asia. Oh look at they're, they're eating krill. They're eating krill. <laughs> I remember doing that back on the shores of the Philippines. Well you know <laughs> you know Yeah, so we are halfway through, which is a little, it feels odd that we're already halfway through because there are only eight episodes for the first season, and I'm getting a little nervous only because there really hasn't, a lot hasn't transpired from the Mandalorian front. Like, yes, from the bigger picture of Star Wars, yes, Yes. we have learned quite a bit post ROJ, absolutely. It's hard not to pay attention to the exposition dump that they give us every episode, but Mm -hmm. The actual story, I mean, when you think about it, the Mandalorian got a job. That job was to track down Baby Yoda. He got Baby Yoda. He regretted what he did by turning in Baby Yoda. He ran away. Yeah. That's the story. And that's the story. So I'm a little nervous. We really need to move forward fast. These Mm -hmm. next four episodes really need to crack open the story and start pushing things I want to say pushing things further a little faster, but let's not forget about the intricacies and the, the beautifulness of pacing. So let's make sure we get that pacing done right as well. It's no easy task. I know it's a tall order and it's going to require Favreau to do, to do a lot of juggling, but I know it can be done.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like, I think it goes into line of like what me and you talked, discussed about the last episode where taken into account episode one, two, and three feel like a complete story. It really does. I mean, like you get just like what you said.
0: Man, oh, it's, a a, it's a very shallow, complete story. But yeah, it's, it's a very a, it's a very like. I hate using the word term shallow, but. Well, it's not OK. It, is it deep? No. It's okay, well, then shallow. What's the opposite of deep? That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> What's it's the not, best way to say it? It's not necessarily a negative. It's just, it's, yeah. it's very shallow. There's not a lot there There's yet. There's not a lot there yet. We're barely, have we're, we're, we're frolicking. We're frolicking in the shallow zone right now. And I want to just go deep. I want yeah, to go deep. Dive, dive into the deep end. I want to go down and hunt
1: some krill deep in the water with my mouth. And, and I'm with you as kind of like at episode four, they have to dive deep. They've got to start like wading into that deep area now because, okay, you showed us your, you showed us the skeleton of your show. We all like it. We agree that it's good. There's a lot of potential there. It's a lot of, it has a lot of potential. Now fill the gaps. Yeah. Fill those gaps,
0: Dave. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this was an interesting episode because we got an introduction of a new character, uh, Cara Dune, played by Gina Carano, yep. uh, pushed the overall Star Wars story forward, as we were saying. Uh, seems like we're getting a, a little bit of that every episode, which is a welcome, since we know next to nothing post-ROJ, yeah. at, least, at least when it comes to the live-action iterations of Star Wars. Yes. Uh, Favreau also gave us a bit more development on The Mandalorian himself. Apparently, he was not born into the Mandalorian culture, but oh. was rescued and taken in by the Mandos, which strengthens, Dave. And I actually did like this part quite a bit. It strengthens the murky canon elements around or surrounding becoming a Mandalorian. Mandalorian There's yes. a lot of debate online. I know people have said, well, Mandalorians uh, don't have to be bored into the culture. Actually, you could become a Mandalorian. You just got to adapt the way they live. Or you have to be accepted into their,
1: yeah, into their uh, society. Yeah, and
0: I don't know if I like that. Listen, it's already done. It's not going to change. But I kind of like the idea that not everyone could be a Mandalorian. I like the notion that you were born into it. It's a part of your culture, your heritage. If you're born a Mandal,o a Mandalorian, then that's an important birthright. If anyone become can become a Mandalorian, I feel like it's kind of cheapens it a bit but that's my own opinion I would you know? I would
1: I would agree with you <laughs> to a degree but here's the one thing that the one the one thing that makes it okay for me mm-hmm. is the fact that we all know the mandalorians get wiped out the, their culture their entire their entire culture I mean, if you watched Clone Wars, Rebels, right, and we know that in the upcoming Clone Wars, the Mandalorian Wars, they get wiped out. So you're saying they had to open the books? They had to open the books. <laughs> they. I mean, yeah. it's it's it sounds ridiculous, but right. if you have to make your culture survive, it makes sense that say we need to bring in people. We mm-hmm. need to we need to let people say uh, we need to we need to keep our 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 ranks our ranks right. still there. So if that means i have we have to bring in people from a different culture
0: to kind of assimilate listen it's i'm not saying it's a bad thing but it would be nice if we were to see maybe the rigorous levels Trials. that someone must go through there, in order to become a Mandalorian yes. then suddenly if we see how hard how difficult it is to become a Mandalorian then I'd be like oh well then it, not everybody can become a Mandalorian yeah you know I want I don't want to think you know J- Joe Schmo, Fatty McGee can be like oh, I, I want to be a Mandalorian to put on a costume okay I'm gonna carry a gun and put a helmet on am I a Mandalorian <laughs> right now no. I promise never to take my mask off
1: Even in the shower.
0: Yeah, even in the shower, I'm never going to take it off. And I'm not going to even take it off to eat a sandwich like the Mando did. did. He's a fraud. He's a fraud. He took his helmet off. Yeah. Also, we had a couple of Easter eggs, which we'll get into that at the end of the show. David, you will take us through that list of Easter eggs. But we did see a Lothcat. Yeah, I was was actually excited about that. Just because... I know, David. But what does it say? Because they... They're Lothal cats. They're from Lathal which was, was from I, which were introduced uh, in Star Wars Rebels. Yes. And the entire planet of Lothal is very intrinsically tied it's to Force sensitive. Yes. Very <laughs> intrinsically tied to the very nature of the force. That planet is almost like you find out at the end of Rebels. No spoilers here. You know, I don't want to get into it. I know a lot of people are now delving into Rebels because yes. of Disney Plus, and I do not want to ruin it for you, but watch it. It's an amazing accomplishment.
1: But seeing the Lothal Cats as, as a Rebels fan, I was really excited, and it opened up a big question to me. It opened it, up a big question or yeah, presented or presented It presented a big question to me about, like, the situation that was there. It was a very brief second, but for me... Okay, do I need to
0: put my tinfoil hat on, Dave? For this one, because I know I would they say so. Yeah. I, would,
1: I would say so. You would have to put on the tinfoil hat, but I do have backing for this. That's the that's the weird part. OK, because, let's hear it. Okay. Let's hear it. Now, that brief scene with the lethal cat, he has some charts and graphs to show me. Not very many. It's very simple. <laughs> OK, in the scene, the lethal cat is approached by the baby
0: Yoda. Right. He's walking past him. Yeah,
1: it hisses at him. Mm-hmm. And it and it basically snarls at him and kind of shrinks away. Right. No one ever. No one mentioned it. I noticed, and a lot of people didn't mention it. But if you're a Rebels fan, like I am, and you remember the Thalcats, Cats, the Thalcats Cats only act like that when they're around Dark Force users. They did it when when Ezra was dealing with the freaking uh, uh, Sith, uh, the Sith uh, holocron. They did it against when Darth Maul shows up around. Uh, of course, that's a Wait, given. Maul was he on Lethal? Uh, when his uh, when they see his uh hologram, The when uh, when Ezra gets that message from uh, uh, Maul saying, "Hey, I need your help. Come and help me." <laughs> yeah, I don't
0: remember that, but and I-
1: every time the Lethal Cats show up, whether it's with Ezra, with Ahsoka, with Maul. With Canaan and the wolves, they always react a certain way in regards to if it's the light side or the dark side. And it was, ama- it, it Wait, was curious so to me. So,
0: okay, well, it okay. was curious to the me light, like basically... If it's the light or the dark side, okay, that changes everything. Because if it's a light side and the dark side, then it makes perfect sense with the Lothal Cat to act that way. Yeah. Because you would come into the studio saying it reacts that way when someone uses the dark side, which I don't remember that. No, no. But well, well then, well then, then why is it that interesting to you then? If we already it, know baby Yoda has the force. <laughs> but the question is, is so
1: does that mean that baby Yoda has the dark side in him?
0: Okay. So you are saying that lethal all cats. Yes. Act strangely to the dark side. Yeah.
1: And and if you go back to Rebels and you see it, mm-hmm. you actually have all the evidence right there that shows it. Hmm. And especially when, especially in the scenes earlier when Ezra is tapping into the dark side, remember the uh, the right when he summons that gigantic beast. Right, well, the Thalcats freak the fuck out, <laughs> and they like
0: they like either a scratch the shit out of Ezra or they run away. Right, and, I, I don't remember all that, but I'm sure you're right. There were other people also posting things, connections, uh, because of seeing the Lothal cat. But yeah. honestly, Dave, this is Star Wars, and it could very well mean something. But also, this is Star Wars, and it could be simply an Easter egg as well. It could simply well. be an Easter
1: egg. And that—and yeah. uh, honestly, that would be a shame to me, especially since this is partly not just a Favreau creation, but this is a Filoni creation. And Filoni, and the fact that they would bring in a creature from Filoni's
0: well, especially series. because they're native to lethal. So to have a it, cat, a lethal cat that's native to a specific planet, and you have it on some backwater planet, it, I I feel like that might just be an Easter egg. Otherwise, they're going to have to explain what, how a lethal cat got to this planet, and he had already left. I don't think you have to explain it though, because like you think it's simply there if it's going in the direction that you think your theory here. You think it was there simply to kind of clue people in that clue people in? Okay, I All think right. it
1: might have been a clue, even if if it's like a really subtle thing. I honestly feel it was a clue. If I a I, I I see it. I see what you're what you're doing, and that's why I said what it, you're it, pitching. You 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 have to put on the tinfoil hat, but then again, I don't feel you have to. If if you were actually an avid watcher of Rebels,
0: yeah, um, again. Uh, Now, remembering this, though, Favreau wrote this entire show. Yes. And it's not Filoni. And that's why I think this is just Filoni as executive producer saying, hey, let's put a little fall cat. You know, if this was Filoni writing this, then I'd be like, yes, I can definitely dig it. But this is something that Filoni had or Favreau had written on his own for the most part. So we'll see. Who, see. Who knows? I'm not. Like I said, this is anything can go at this point with The Mandalorian. Mm hmm. All right, so chapter four begins with the Mando running into a mercenary named Cara Dune and uh, brawling with her briefly outside a saloon. After that introduction, the Mando is hired by a couple of desperate fishermen, your family, David, if you will, (laughs) uh, hoping to drive off Clatoonian Raiders who have been tormenting their small village. Now, this was an interesting aspect because Favaro used various inspirations, very evident. It was heavy-handed. wasn't subtle by any means for this episode's narrative, something that many of us Akira Kurosawa fans are very aware of, and that was the film Seven Samurai, the 1954 yeah. samurai epic that spawned a revolution and the popular Western film Magnificent Seven, which is essentially the same movie. Which, if you know samurai films and you know westerns, uh, westerns are essentially samurai films. And samurai films are essentially westerns. Yes. There are very similar themes. Similar archetypes. They go hand in hand. And so, in Seven Samurai fashion, the warriors show the farmers how to defend themselves. And then they set up traps along a moat of water which they hope will topple an ATST, which I'm sure a lot of people were very happy to see that ATST. I got a text message from one of the hosts on the network saying, Oh my God, an ATST. That's awesome. And yes, visual effects wise, it was fantastic. I mean, the VFX and the overall practical feel, I should say the overall practical use of whether it be, uh, costumes uh, prosthetics puppeteering like with baby Yoda is absolutely astounding
1: oh yeah it's this is state-of-the-art stuff that we've seen in Mandalorian in regards to the tech and the VFX because like it was amazing when I saw that ATST and then all of a sudden I went back and I had to look at like my initial remembrance of ATST which is Return of the Jedi right yeah and night and day you can see how far they've come i mean like i love return of the jedi i love the effects that they did in there because it's it's the basis of a lot of effects that i grew up with with miniatures and stuff like that but then you get to mandalorian and the atst there i am so shocked how clean
0: how organic and realistic that ATSD looked. Well, there's no CGI moments that make you cringe and say, there is oh, none. that's one thing that I really dig about this show. And to me, when this all wraps, despite some of the writing issues that I have, because I do have a lot of issues with the writing, the big takeaway will be that the whole, there's none of the uncanny Valley, Issues that come sometimes with a CGI with a CGI heavy TV show or film. Yeah, even with the even with the because Yoda. everything is scaled appropriately, and that that's the beautiful thing about practical effects. Everything's scaled appropriately because it's there. It's there. <laughs>
1: it's even with the even with the uh, Yoda, which is the biggest thing that a lot of fans have liked. Right, and I agree. It, it, it's been really cool getting that. The some of the effect shots when you take a really good look at some of the effect shots, especially in this episode, it's amazing what they were able to pull off. That I'm like going, "Is that a is is that really there or is that
0: yeah a CGI? Because it doesn't look CGI." And I think everyone who is old school, and I, this has become a staple of Star Wars in many ways. It's such a it's such a it's such a staple of Star Wars. That that in this era of Star Wars with the Disney era that they have surprisingly stuck to Lucas's norm. When you would think the go to, which it is for almost everything nowadays, is to just CGI it. And yet Disney has been willing to continue the. The VFX amazingness that is Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the prequels, they don't get enough credit. A lot of people think everything was CGI. And yes, there were sequences that were, you know, CGI a lot. Very CGI heavy. But there was also a very heavy, heavy use of practical effects and miniature work as well. In fact, every spacecraft and planet all of mustafar was all miniatures none of that was cgi None of that was cgi now yes you have the insert shots and some of the set extensions yes absolutely that is cgi and they're doing the same thing with the mandalorian that's you'd be a fool not to take advantage of your entire arsenal of effects when you're a vfx supervisor you're not saying nope no cgi here we're gonna build this completely out your budget their budget don't allow for that these yes. days. You're going to have the bulk of your scene in a show like Star Wars that's going to be probably 80% practical and possibly 20% CGI or set extension and I may be a little high on that 80%, but I would say give or take on average that's what you're that's what we're getting on the Mandalorian. There may be an episode that may be 50-50 or 60-40, but for the most part I would say so far up to episode four, we're definitely averaging out to about eighty-twenty. Eighty twenty, yeah. Especially when you get to those scenes like with
1: the Mandalorian at, when he's standing with his ship. Those those shots absolutely amaze me because they're so clean that I'm I'm constantly wondering, okay, is that when they do the wide shot of the ship, is the ship actually there? Or is yeah that, is that, is that actually CGI? You can't tell, and I love the little little things that show that it's practical at times. Like my the one scene where he's talking with the two farmers that come to get uh, get him, yeah. And the ship simply like letting off steam when he, the doors open, and all of a sudden the 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 fog or the 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 steam comes pouring out of the ship. Mm-hmm. Something like practical like that shows me that that ship is there.
0: And then you go, wow. well, because you'd be surprised how many people don't use fog machines or misters. They're like, let's CGI the fog in and but the layering looks soft. The looks grading off. doesn't look right. It sometimes is not behind the subject. It's only in front of the subject and you can tell the depth is way off. So yeah. And they even do that in big budget films and big budget, big budget TV shows. And you're just like shaking your head like, why? How hard is it to get a, a couple of mysteries and Sh- missed up this bitch? Just <laughs> do it.
1: it or like just use a fog machine for God's sakes,
0: yeah, so we're not the only ones that are on board with this whole VFX thing, obviously obviously the fans are going to love it, right yeah. but even veteran actor Werner Herzog <laughs> he got I into he got into it as well, and he straight up called John Favreau and Dave Filoni cowards, yes for considering a VFX or I should say a CGI baby Yoda. This title is completely off here. They don't even know what they're talking about. They realize VFX does not don't, don't worry. It's that's just the internet. VFX does not mean CGI. VFX is the. <sighs> <laughs> I hear it in your voice. I okay. know. Cowards for considering a VFX baby, they should say they meant to say a CGI baby. VFX is the all-encompassing work that it takes to take in to do with the process of visual effects work. And that may include CGI, that may include miniatures, that may include some compositing, that may include some set extensions, but that is all encompassing uh that's what VFX is. It's all encompassing. Yes. So that's like saying filmmaking is just writing is just writing filmmaking is all of it. Yes. Okay. So he had expressed his, and maybe Warner Herzog said it himself. We will see. Maybe he's the one who messed up and they're just quoting him. But apparently Warner Herzog was very vocal about the possibility of replacing the Yoda puppet with a CGI version. Apparently, Dave Filoni and Favaro were shooting several blank they were getting ready to shoot various blank slates of the sequence as a backup in case they decided during post production that the puppet wasn't convincing enough and a digital version had to be substituted yes. and Herzog known for films about pushing the limits of human ability and endurance could not hide could not hide his contempt <laughs> you are cowards he declared leave it that's amazing that's
1: amazing and only Werner Herzog can do that
0: yeah when you're that old and you're that iconic guess what you're, you can say <laughs> stuff like that exactly but okay and you know, if people don't know what shooting shooting a blank slate is basically what you do it, when you have a cgi character or cgi aspect in a scene what you're doing is let's say you have a shot where the Mandalorians walking down a path and baby Yoda is supposed to be walking next to him. Yes. Well, what you do is you shoot the shot in the exact same fashion several times. So you have blank slates and what you do in post is you put them into place when you're editing. So you shoot it blank and you have a plate to go back to. Yes. And it's, Not easy work. CGI is a craft in itself and it's, Mm -hmm. I, I don't like this, this new trend of hating on CGI because CGI does have a place and a purpose, but there's a time and place for it. Well, the funny thing is CGI, people
1: only talk about CGI when it's bad. Yeah. No one ever notices when it's good because you're not supposed to. Thank you, David. You're not supposed to notice. That's CGI. the best thing
0: you've said, and that's why you've made up for your
1: lethal cat <laughs> theory. And that's why in in, in oh, Mandalorian Steve. thus far, so the CGI here has been amazing because it keeps it, yeah. me guessing. Where it's yeah, like, yes. where does the effects
0: start, and yeah. where does the real begin? That's exactly what I was about to say. I love that I can't I can't figure it out. I mean. Usually when you're watching something big budget, even like Game of Thrones, you're like, oh, yeah, that's CGI. Oh, I yeah, can tell. that's absolutely. CGI. And there's a realness to pretty much everything in this world of The Mandalorian. And it's it's absolutely astounding and fantastic. Now, Dave, getting back to this ATST, we can also say. And we're going to get really nerdy here when it comes to the Star Wars fandom. But I think we can put to rest, even though I put it to rest years ago, maybe even a decade or so we can put to rest the argument of of what we should call AT-ATs and ATSTs they're not at ats
1: but but michael that that's what we all been told to
0: well, but michael i swear to god in 1983 i saw a commercial from hasbro that said please come and buy the new at 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 there actually was a commercial that said that. Oh no, yeah. And yeah. that's why. That's why, that's why there? there's an argument where people's like, "No, that that, that. I, here, here's a YouTube video from a 1983 commercial. That that, that look. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's an ATST. Right? Tomato yes. tomato. But, ATATATST. All right, so let's get into the story aspect a bit more. The biggest Star Wars story uh, by way of Kara Dune. All right. So this really pushed the star Wars mythos for uh, further in a way that I really enjoyed. And it also said something about the rebel Alliance slash new Republic post ROJ. Yeah. yeah. And I was really happy with and that. it put them into a bit of a gray area. This is something we've talked about now since Disney has taken over that we saw it in rogue one with Cassian, how he yep. blows away a fellow rebel member because he was too loud and he was going to get caught by the stormtroopers. Yep. And we've seen it various times throughout comic books and books now where the rebel Alliance is being held accountable, at least to the viewer or the reader.
1: Yes. They're not trying to vilify them.
0: No, they're showing right. They're not vilifying them, but they're holding them accountable in the eyes of the viewers And the readers saying, "Hey, war is ugly. There are two sides. Yes, the empire is the vile, evil, tyrannical. Yes, force right, and they should be removed. But hey, war is ugly, and there really aren't any good people. If you're killing people, guess what? It's war. And and if I'm not correct, me and you have discussed this about we've we've gone on and on about it. Yeah, how people fail
1: to realize the Rebel Alliance are." should be classified as a terrorist
0: organization they really should right they are right exactly and i liked that they once again added that bit into kara Dune's story yep when she says that she was essentially a shock trooper for the new republic and she was her she was tasked with mop-up duty after indoor mostly ex imperial warlords, what does that mean? mop up duty <laughs> jeez, she was part of a hit squad, yep, black ops, yeah, she was she, she was essentially kind of like a a hunter like a Nazi war hunter, yes, they wanted it her words, they wanted it fast and quiet and quiet they'd send us in in drop ships, no support, justice, just us. then when the imps were gone, the politics the politics started. So that was a very interesting aspect. Not only did we learn a little bit about the political structure or the political, um, the politics post Return of the Jedi, but we also got a little bit on the New Republic and the Rebel Alliance. And just like we've said in other discussions, you know, nation building isn't easy. Nation building requires... You got to break some eggs to make an omelet. So I like that they're continuing that story. That's one of the things that I felt like has been very cohesive through all of the Disney era of Star Wars. It started in my opinion with Rogue One. To this day I would I still remember being shocked that he just blew away, away one of- another person. Yeah.
1: For for me, I I particularly like this because this is something that I was really wondering if they would tackle because they brought this up in the Aftermath books, those novels that I think are yeah, amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. And the the one thing that I think a lot of Star Wars fans, you know, don't want to accept is like the rebel Alliance. Aren't all good guys. They're not saints. I mean, look at, uh, that's why I love the character of Saul Guerrero. Yes. uh, Saul Guerrero. One character that basically I feel is amazing that when he shows up, it really puts into it shows the, the darker the light, side, the darker light, the darker light of uh of the Rebel Alliance.
0: Yeah, it shows the darker side of the Rebel Alliance and what's required of them at times. You're dealing with essentially a terrorist organization. You're taking pot shots. You're yep. doing you're doing what you can to survive and to topple this tyrannical government. It's an illegitimate government, but you you are you know, especially if you believe in the ways of the Force. That's an ideology, which means you are a terrorist you are a terrorist and so, you yeah. got to do things that you might not
1: morally agree with
0: so i like that they do that it's no i know in the earlier days of star wars it was always good versus evil good versus and, and, evil and that worked for the original trilogy and it still does hold up that's what that story is about right Light and dark, the redemption of evil, Yeah, and you redeem someone who has gone too far. I mean, it's a terrific story, but moving forward into this new era of Star Wars and we're delving into the intricacies of the Rebel Alliance and the rise of the New Republic, uh, you know, the pros and cons of what happens behind the scenes, you're going to have to be a little more... uh, I guess, sincere to the realities of war, you can't really just be naive. There, yes, the, the, yeah. These types of stories, when you're dealing with a title called Star Wars, there isn't really a lot of room for naivete. Naivete, yeah. So it, you got to
1: actually accept the, the, the realities of war.
0: Right. All right. So also these Clintoonian warriors... Wore an interesting bit. Love the practical costumes or prosthetics, the makeup, I should say. Fantastic. Now, these characters are not new. I've seen some people debating on social media, but they've been around before. They have a big, pretty big history with Star Wars. Uh, the ancient Clontunians uh, perceived the huts as demigods. The huts, never a species to refuse the upper hand in any situation, in any situation though. use this false perception to their own advantage, convincing the Clatoonians to cast aside their ancient traditions, abandon their native language in favor of Hutis and accept their place as indentured servants. servants. Yep. So they have a pretty rich history. I'll drop these links on the, uh, on the webpage version of our show so you guys can take a, a gander. At the Clantonian Warrior. I guess backstory. Because there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. Because
1: they deal with a lot of like. Old legends and EU canon. Especially with like the. The stories of the Huts And. Some of the old. The old books that me and you like. Where it's like. The tales of the bounty hunters. Mm -hmm. They're there a lot. But that's because. Just like what you said. They're indentured servants to the Huts. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that was cool to see them. And that's the thing about like this whole, se- uh, the, the, this episode, it pushes forward the universe, the story of the universe of star Wars. There's more to the universe than what the established films put out there. You know, there's more than just the Sith. There's more than just the Jedi. There's, there's a bounty hunters guild which has never been shown in the, uh, in any of the live, uh, live films besides, you know, in, in, in passing, like showing the bounty hunters from the empire strikes back. We
0: never, t- we, there's never been talk about the guild, right? There's never been talk about like the under, well, underworld. even, even the hierarchy of the Mandalorians as we got into in a couple, a couple episodes ago brought up. Yeah. So, and that's something we learned a little bit more in this episode as well. Just briefly, uh, through a discussion between the Mandalorian and what was her name? Omeria? That was- Amara. I want to say Amara
1: because I'm looking at my notes and I wrote it down. I think it's Amara.
0: Yeah, Amara, you're right. Amara. No, it's Amara. So, through that little dialogue exchange, exchange between the Mandalorian and Omera, you learn a little bit about the Mandalorians. Uh, if you take your mask off, you're no longer considered Amanda. a Mandalorian. Yep. Or, or if people see your face, that's what it is. If people see your face, you're no longer a Mandalorian, Mandalorian because apparently he will take his helmet off. In private. In private. But not in public. Yes. So that'll be an interesting aspect to explore a little more deeper and find out how we got there. Because remember, just a few short years ago, uh, during the events of Star Wars Rebels, that was not a thing. So we were going to have to learn the why. What happened between Star Wars Rebels and post-ROJ? Especially
1: especially since as Rebels fans, (laughs) we were like thinking, oh, everything ended... Pleasantly for, you know, like our our heroes, especially, you know, like during the Mandalorian War. Yeah. We thought the families would have gotten together. Quite the contrary. Something happened that basically caused them to go into their, I think, they, I think they called them covens, which is actually really cool. They're like hidden little covens of Mandalorians that go from place to place and they have to move the covens. And it's... They, they create their own community within the city. And I think that's actually, I think that's been one of the things I really did enjoy. Yeah, I have to agree. It did look kind of ridiculous seeing children just running around in Mandalorian uh, helmets. And, but due to this episode, when he brings up the fact that he never took off his helmet in front of someone since he was a child.
0: What about during sex? Dude, like, do they keep their helmet Dude. on during sex? Because
1: <laughs> that brings up the question. Yeah, what about during sex? Because I want to see the armor. I'm be like, armor off
0: the mush, girlfriend.
1: <laughs> you wanna, you wanna know what's underneath the armor, the 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 forger?
0: It's yeah. like, and if you know who the actor is, I mean, she's pretty steamy. So we definitely want to see her.
1: We want to see her,
0: but yeah. Yeah. the fact
1: of Mandalorian rituals and 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 laws, you you cannot take off your
0: helmet. Yeah. What about take off your suit, though? Like, uh, that's the thing that was, like, come on, girl, show me those panties made of, made out of Beskar.
1: <laughs> I, I think that would be called a chastity belt, Mike. Oh,
0: you don't want to do that? Okay, I, it was, it's it's uh, contraceptives, you know. <laughs> it's a prevents, It prevents unwanted pregnancies. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, Dave. Why don't you give me your final thoughts on this episode? Because we are here. We are at the end of our discussion. And it's time.
1: My final thoughts of the dis, uh, of this episode. This episode isn't the best. Um compared oh, to David, you watch your tongue. <laughs> compared to the other episodes, I do agree with some people that just it just seems like a standalone episode like you could throw it away. So a filler episode. A filler episode. Yeah. And I understand that. However, going through a second second watch, I really started trying to pay attention to the details. Little tiny details. That's how I saw the LaFall cat. And then I started actually thinking about it. I'm like, like well, why would they throw that in there? And I understand your point that, well, it might just be an Easter egg. Yeah, it might be, but.
0: If that is setting theories aside, Dave. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the episode itself? Like what they presented to us? Like think, that aspect.
1: I think it was a okay episode. It wasn't garbage. It wasn't groundbreaking. Uh, my overall score for it I am going to probably give this a 72 because it's not great but it's not horrible it keeps the narrate- it keeps the, the the overall story of Star Wars keeps going forward because remember that has been the one thing that we've been we've been saying you have to push forward don't get don't get settled in and when you take a look at it, they covered a bunch of the stuff that around the universe. They kind of tried to touch on uh, Mandalorian culture. They tried to touch on the history of the Rebel Alliance. What happened? The whole Shock Trooper thing. In regards to why I graded at a 72 it is probably because, again, so the choice acting isn't the best. Um, I love uh, Gina Carano. I loved her in Deadpool, but I just after this, I realized why I loved her as dead in Deadpool because she didn't say anything, but she looks the part of a badass. That's sexist Dave. So you
0: like (laughs) the way she looks, but you don't like her when she opens her mouth. You are such a sexist (laughs) man. You want her cooking in the kitchen barefoot as well. You pig. Yes,
1: (laughs) but no, but in in all honesty, some of the choice dialogue for her was kind of cringeworthy, especially exposition heavy, but all right. So that's you give it, a, that's why that's those, those reasons. And a couple other reasons is why I bring it down to a
0: 72. 72. All right, Dave, overall, this episode was not entirely great. There were interesting moments, but it suffered from bad acting And an even worse script writing. Yes. The episode was not entirely inspiring, borrowing tired tropes, things we've seen literally thousands of times. The homages were great. Tropes are not a lot of people were justifying for those episodes saying, well, you know, it was a homage to, you know, the magnificent seven. And And you can't do that. I'm like, that's not a, a, but there's not, that's not a homage. Like that's a trope. That's a trope. (laughs) This felt like a paint by numbers episode. Get people to talk in a contrived manner. People needs help. Teach them to fend for themselves, defeat the bad guys, have a warrior slash cowboy reevaluate his life. Maybe he should settle down with a young native woman. It's Dances with Wolves and every Western we've ever watched just dressed up as kind of Star Wars. And I say kind of Star Wars because even the tone was bizarre. Mm -hmm. The tone was off. And that's probably my biggest problem over everything. I can forgive a, a bad script, I guess. But when you change the tone of the entire show, and I don't know if that was the director, you know, Bryce Howard not being a season director but i i feel like the problems i have with the show is not the idea or the concepts because what they give us i like but how we get it is mm-hmm. not very good it's the execution the execution is they have not the skill but it's the execution the ideas executed. are good but something about the way they execute it, it's just it doesn't come off very well it's sloppy. It's very sloppy. I, I don't know what they need, and I know we're. I, I know I, four episodes in, we're halfway done. So I, I'm not. I'm not going to say we're only four episodes in. We are four episodes in. We are halfway done. And yes, I'm going to wait to say officially this. What I'm. I can't say this definitively as of yet. But I. But I will say it at the end of the season if I was wrong or right. But. I think moving into season two, they need better directors and writers next season. Well, yeah, in this show, room. this isn't a show for trying out. It shouldn't be a show for trying out untested talent. If you look at the directors they've put in so far, they're very slim on experience. Deborah Chow did fantastic with action. And I know she's directing another episode soon and we'll see if she can do other things besides action because episode 3 was amazing from the action side.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: And I feel like anytime the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda are the focus, the show's great because Pedro Pascal is a good actor. You can even see that through his helmet. That's a good actor. The that body language, it's it's a positive. Every time he's on screen, he's good. He owns that screen. Baby Yoda's awesome. But all this other nonsense, it's, it's bizarre. Gina Carano is awful, awful as an actor. And it's not. And people may say, oh, Star Wars has always been with you know, cheesy performances. I'm like, cheesy performance purposely is a lot different than cheesy performances because you suck. Ewan McGregor's lines in The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith were done purposely. It was supposed to be a little schlocky and pulpy. This is not done purposely. This is bad acting. And it's not just her. Even some of the side characters. The kids were bad. Uh, It was just a lot of weird things. And then there's logical errors I had. In in so far. Since Mandalorian has been introduced. We were led to believe that Beskar Steel. Which we already know this through Star Wars canon. There's rumors that it can block lightsabers. Okay. yes. Beskar steel is supposed to be the the bee's knees, the shit when it comes to armor. Right. Mm -hmm. They've even talked it up in this show. In fact, it just saved a man's life. Yes, it did. A blaster didn't pierce it. But then Kara dune can take on the Mandalorian who just took out 30 plus stormtroopers. And bounty hunters. But he had a hard time fighting her fighting Kara Dune who had open body parts, no mask, one punch to her throat and she's done. I felt like it was weird that she can take on a guy donned in best scar steel. There was a lot of issues I had with this episode and and I can probably keep going for another five minutes, but I'm not. (laughs) because i don't want to be overly negative i just hope this show becomes everything we wanted it to be because like i said the concept is cool and i feel like there's a lot of distractions look look what everyone's posting online baby yoda oh he's so cute he's so cute not one person has said wow this story is amazing and heart touching and oh my god character driven Uh, nothing nothing There there hasn't been that has been the one
1: issue of Mandalorian right now is. What's your story
0: and what is your character development? And that's the problem, Dave, we're 4 we're halfway through the series and I don't know what the actual story is. And and again, people may say or rebuttal, well, the story is Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. Okay, and that's not a story. That's a concept. (laughs) That's a concept. What's the story? We don't know. The concept or setup is people are after baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. That's not a story. That's a concept and a setup. Where's the story? The way they're pushing the Star Wars mythos forward is amazing. But what does that mean for the Mandalorian? Yes. If it doesn't mean anything to our lead character, then it doesn't matter. It's just background noise. I'm happy we're getting it, but taking away the star Wars fan from out of the, the equation who gives a shit as a star Wars fan. Yes. You're giving us that star Wars world building. We always ask for, but just the critic looking into this show now and breaking it down. What does it matter if it doesn't matter to the Mandalorian? So they got to start moving in that direction. And I, I love the way this show looks. It's an, a, a beautiful accomplishment yes but I would almost say hey guys quit paying so much attention to the beautiful vfx and let's focus on this story and possibly get some help in the writing room next year Bavaro could sell the concept pitch it to your writing room let your writing room break the story together and we probably wouldn't have these problems. And they need television writers, not feature film writers. They need TV writers in that writing room to help figure this show out. And I'm hoping they can take a step back and forget about the background noise of everyone excited about Disney Plus and, and the Baby Yoda memes that have gone viral. And say, okay, guys, we got lucky. We hit a home run with a show that's maybe a C C+. We hit a home run, but next season, let's, let's, I can see some issues here, guys. Let's, let's finesse this. Let's tighten it up. Let's tighten it up. And I'm hoping they'll do that. So we'll see. I'm excited for the show. I'm still a fan. It just, we just need to move pretty soon here. So I give this episode a 57%. Which is an average of, hold on, let me get that average. What did you give it, David? 72. So you gave it a 72. I gave it a 57. Right, And that's an average of 64.5%. All right. Mandalorian gets a back to tank score or an RMD score of sixty-four point five percent.
1: Okay. Well, Mike, you might actually have reinforcements coming. Okay. So I looked up like uh, what the game plan is for the rest of the season. While without... I was whining? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, while well, you're whining, because I wanted to find a silver lining, and I just did. Okay, give so, it to me. Episode five, next episode. Directed by Dave Filoni. Okay. Written by Dave Filoni.
0: Okay. So we have we are going to get a different writer then.
1: Not only that, but the following episode is directed by uh, Rick Fumiwa and written by Christopher Yost and Rick Fumia, who are both Filoni's guys. Yeah. So Wait, back who, to back. Who, who was the story written by Yost? Yost. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's Yost. a Rebels guy. Yeah, that's a Rebels guy. And then after that, seven and, uh, seven and eight, it go, uh, seven and eight goes back to Deborah Chow directing. Oh,
0: okay. And it's written by John Favaro. And then eight closes out it with. It shows that episode five is also written by Dave. Ful- oh, no, that's never, never mind. Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. My and, bad. My
1: bad. And then episode eight finishes up with uh, Takai Watiti
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, behind the director's chair, and it's written by G- John Favaro which makes sense because he's going to cl- close out his story by that point.
0: Right. And typically that's what showrunners do. Yeah. Uh, typically showrunners, write. But now they write the premiere episode, usually the mid season finale. If they do that on the show and then the season finale. Yeah. But now Filoni's right in the mid season. He's at the mid season point. If you think okay. about it. So you know what? That makes me think before, because we already know how Favaro pitched the show. He had yes. written it already without any, you know, official direction from Lucasfilm. It was solely done from by, by himself. He just came up with it and decided to do it and then offered it to Disney. Yes. So I'm wondering if these opening four episodes were his original scripts that he wrote and then moving forward into turning this into a TV show, they're like, okay, well, let's get some writers to write. Yes. And okay, I'm- that makes me feel a little better because even though... Filoni isn't the greatest director of live action as of yet only because he's 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 untested this is this is, uh, this episode I think is the most important for
1: Dave Filoni. episode five because I he's, agree he's behind the director's chair and he's writing because okay. you gotta remember we we criticized Filoni in episode one right but
0: Favreau was writing well we didn't criticize him we just offered some some, Criti- uh, cri- uh, some criticism <laughs> some cr- well, I guess it's critiquing. criticizing critique, critique. yeah and we love Dave Filoni. Yeah, we love Dave. It, it, it's just that I'm hoping he gets a little more. Um, um, what? Say, no, I just I just I would like to see him get better and better in the live action side, because directing live action is very different from, from directing, from
1: directing animation.
0: Right. But so, I
1: honestly think that now knowing this. Now I don't know about you but I do see this as a silver
0: lining. I do too actually. That we're getting different writers cuz we need those different voices in the writing room. That's the that's the process of writing television.
1: My only my only concern now next episode. This is where Felony has to
0: show his greatness. No, I agree. He, he needs to. to come galloping in naked Had, on a horse with his hat, with his hat <laughs> and his little boots, and, <laughs> and he, he he's, needs he's, to make us all happy. He's got to swing his
1: dick as hard oh. as he can at our face.
0: <laughs> yes, he's got to do the, the Kavorian
1: two-step. <laughs> he's got to it. He's got whor- he's got to do this out. He's got to do
0: us right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, David. <laughs> all right. So this concludes. Our discussion on Star Wars the Mandalorian episode four you can send your hate mail to me directly <laughs> at frombacTA or you can head over to our facebook page facebook.com slash star wars from Bacta tank all right David thank you very much thank you may the force be with us oh, yes <laughs>